burnout culture has become so ingrained in our society. This need to always push for more, to never be satisfied. And in this interview today with Laura Hartley, she offers you an opportunity to slow down. And she gives an amazing example of comparing the extractiveness of burnout culture to what we have historically done to the earth. And if as Ecopreneurs, we are trying to fight against the continual extraction of resources from our earth. We also need to treat our bodies with that same reverence, provide them with a chance to heal and not look to always consistently extract and expect those resources to always be there. Let's shift your mindset and transform the way you think during this episode of the Green Business Impact Podcast. You're here for another dose of climate positivity on the Green Business Impact Podcast. Here we highlight the amazing work of green businesses from around the world that are fighting against climate change. If you are ready to be inspired to take action, ready to hear some amazing examples of how we are working to fight the climate crisis, then stay tuned because this week's episode will be the perfect hit of climate positivity. Laura, do you mind telling us a bit about Public Love Enterprises and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. So Public Love Enterprises is really a school for changemakers. It's a space to radically reimagine the world. So we focus on the inner work of outer change, which means we run programs and we have coaching in healing burnout culture, regenerative leadership, and eco-anxiety and ways to reimagine the ways that we're participating and creating change in the world. Yeah. Wow. That's powerful, especially around this burnout culture. That's a huge thing happening throughout this day and age when everything is so accessible right at our fingertips all the time. And so it's becomes a situation where you can be on all the time. And so you just end up burning yourself out because of the fact that you can just be tapped in so easily to everything. So how do you help people with this burnout culture and maybe just even define it for us first, like really define what is the burnout culture and what it looks like right now? Yeah, absolutely. You have such a good point there. We're always on, we're always wired for this now. And here's the thing, our bodies were not designed for any of this. Our nervous systems are not wired for any of this. And so it makes sense in so many ways that we're experiencing this at such a global level. But really when I'm talking about burnout, I'm talking uh, about this state of exhaustion and this state of apathy and this state of just feeling like we have absolutely nothing left. And it's a spectrum. Burnout isn't a one size fits all. Some people are at the mild end where it's okay, I'm tired. I'm a little bit anxious. Perhaps I've got a bit of like shoulder pain and my jaw is a bit locked, but yeah, it's fine. I'll just take a vacation and I'll be right. And other people have uh, cycled there at the extreme end. And that is when, you know, it's not just tiredness, it is exhaustion. You cannot get out of bed. Like it is a lot more relationship conflict. There is a lot more anxiety and tension in that sense of there's a real kind of overlap at that stage with depression because there's a sense of apathy. We've lost our spark. We've lost our care for things that once lit us up. So this is burnout. And when we're talking about burnout culture, we're really talking about the ways in which we're working as activists, as entrepreneurs in almost every single field that there is that do not support us that are encouraging us to always be working faster, always be doing more, always on this treadmill of just the next thing and the next thing. And all of that 
kind of extracting from ourselves. The example I give is it's very similar to our idea of extractivism of the earth, where we just keep extract resources and minerals and expecting them to be there or to be there when we want them to be. We do the same things to our body. We take from our energy and our attention and our motivation and our compassion, and we expect it to always be available without any sense of its renewal any sense of actually caring for it and allowing for it to replenish. So this is the space that we're working in. Yeah, definitely. And I love how you connected that in terms of extracting from the ecosystem and our earth. It's because it's very, it's very related how much we, we just see, okay, it's, it's going to be there. It's always going to be there and we'll just keep getting as much as we can, which is the same with our attention and our ability to keep going. It's okay. Yesterday I was able to do this. So today I must be able to do this again. <laughs> and it's our in a different space today. You might be feeling more tired. You might have expended more energy somewhere and or you might have yesterday might have just been exhausting. Like maybe you need a day to rest. It's yeah. just it's crazy how much that there's so many similarities, which is awesome. Absolutely. When we're looking at the roots of the climate crisis and we see this disconnection from the natural world and we just see it as like this like mechanistic thing and we've just got to get the right ratios or the right numbers or whatever it is and not seeing it as this kind of living regenerative place, we do the exact same thing to us. Or we're just like, no, it's fine. We just treat our bodies like they're machines. And we just like hustle, just grind, just keep pushing. You, there's even like a motivational quote, like, yeah, you're a machine, just push it. And it's, yeah, it's a very similar dynamic that's happened. Yeah, definitely. Because it's okay, if I get the right amount of food and I get the right amount of water and I get the exact right amount of sleep, then I'm going to be able to perform at this optimal level. And we aren't machines. Exactly. Put everything in the right place. There still can be so much variability depending on hormones or whatever going is going on in our body. So that is so true. When you are helping people explore this space and explore how to fix their mindset in terms of this burnout culture, how do you help people go through that? I think all burnout work is twofold. There is the first stage, which is really the work that we do as individuals. And that is work that we do in our nervous systems in looking at our spirit and our callings and what is it that actually that we want to do in the world. It's looking at our values and boundaries. And this is all like very personal work. And there's a lot of overlap here with the wellness world and with burnout work that exists everywhere. And it's a really important foundational step. But where a lot of burnout work then sometimes gets lost is that it misses the collective piece. That ultimately burnout is a result of ways of working that do not serve us. And none of us created those ways of working. And so unless we're starting to examine what it means to be a collective, to look at the level of culture, and when I say culture, I really mean those microcultures of our organizations, of our movements, our companies, our families, those kind of spaces that we have a lot of direct influence and exploring actually what is it that brings us meaning? What's our sense of belonging? How do we want to be and work together? How do we create this sense of safety between us? And what does it mean for us all to thrive, to seed and create the conditions of thriving for all of us? That's where the second part of burnout work comes in, because I think so often we never ask these questions. You know, we never sit down and say, hey, actually, like as a company, as a team, what makes us genuinely thrive? And not just the artificial, like, yeah, let's like push and keep going, but that real space of let's pause, let's take a moment. And how do we make a sustainable and foundational shift? And how we're working. Yeah, definitely. Because that, that goes from the organizational level with your company as well, because it's like, okay, we might be growing at a really fast rate and we might be doing all this stuff, but don't have the culture 
set and have those guidelines for being able to grow quickly. You might have all the money in the world coming in for your business, but if you don't have that structure there, your culture just isn't going to be able to support that. Is it going to be able to help you grow? And that's so important to think about too. It's, okay, we really need to have a plan and a strategy around what are we doing here and how do we take this to the next level? How do we continue to grow and really reassess? And I think that's really important. I'm very happy yeah. that you brought that up. Yeah. Definitely. So many of us, like when we're trying to do this, we know some of the tools, whether it's like check-ins or creating these spaces, but it's so easy for them to become transactional, to just become something that we need to kick off on like the meeting agenda. Have we done the check-in? Great. Now we can get down to real work. And that there, that space of, okay, actually there was no real care for that check-in. There was no real care or validity given to what the experiences were. And so it's a lot of like deeper relational work and that's what culture change is. So it's a tricky place for us to navigate, but there are some people doing incredible things. Yeah, definitely. And where do you see the biggest challenge for people when they're looking to create that organizational culture of being able to check in? Where do you see like the biggest challenge for people in there? So I think the biggest challenge is actually, in a sense, something I refer to as internalized capitalism. So internalized capitalism is the equation of our worth with our productivity. It's our worth with what we produce. And it shows up in a million different ways. It is that sense of time scarcity, that there is just never enough time or that time is running out. You see this a lot in climate spaces as well. It's that sense of going into work when we're sick. And so many of us have done this even when we're working from home, that we're like checking our emails or doing something. That sense that we can't switch off, that we always need to be doing more. So like we're scrolling on Instagram while we're like cooking dinner, while we're like sending a voice note to somebody else. I'm guilty of this myself. So there's a lot of different ways that it shows up and it, we feel just uncomfortableness when we rest. And really this internalization of the culture that we live in takes some work to get free of it. And if we don't, that is actually one of the things that prevents us from really connecting to the relationships on a deeper level and from putting the value onto our relationships and onto who and how we want to be together. Because otherwise we're doing the check-ins and we're showing up for these things, but they become transactional. They became just another thing we need to do so we can keep going, keep producing, keep doing more. And that's the cycle that we need to get out of. And that is a really difficult space to be. There's a lot of work here of unraveling that, of coming back to a different compass and a different way of being. But that's the kind of space I think that we need to do the work on ourselves first to be able to do the culture shifting that we want to do. Yeah, definitely. Wow. That's powerful. And you mentioned this internalized capitalism. How do you see capitalism as being internalized for us in this type of culture? Yeah. Capitalism is an ideology now, as much as it is an economic system. And really my work is in the ideology of capitalism and the ideology and the beliefs associated with it. Those beliefs are that growth means success. That's a really big one. I think Edward Abbey has a wonderful quote that says, growth for the sake of growth is the ideology of the cancer cell. You know, the <laughs> only thing in the natural world that grows without end and without purpose is cancer. Now, growth has a place, don't get me wrong, especially as entrepreneurs, all of us, many of us, including myself, are in a growing phase. But there is a point where you reach maturity and that's where you start to move to seasons and cycles. Now, the other way is that we're looking at the beliefs of capitalism that show up beyond growth as success would really be the experience of scarcity. The scarcity is foundational to capitalism. You don't have endless growth or growth without scarcity somewhere in the system to drive it. And a lot of the time we've internalized that. 
we have, like I mentioned before, this sense of time scarcity that like there's just not enough time. And you see it in our language with the sense of, thank God it's Friday and ah, the weekend is always so short all of the time. We have scarcity in our mindset around perfectionism and that we're not enough is not enough syndrome that so many of us have. You see it in marketing a lot. My gosh, as entrepreneurs, this idea that we need to convince others that there's not enough and you need to act now and buy fast and creating this like FOMO response in our bodies it's really quite toxic. So I think there's so many ways we've internalized it that we can't even see it. David Foster Wallace has a wonderful example of these fish swimming through water or these fish swimming along and this bigger fish comes by and it says, hey boys, beautiful day, how's the water? And they keep swimming and they keep swimming and eventually they turn to each other and they say, what the hell is water? Because we don't even know the environment that we're swimming. This is the space that we're working in when I talk about internalized capitalism and the space of inner and outer change. We're looking at how we've internalized the systems outside of us, how we perpetuate them, how we live them out, and how do we start to challenge them and reimagine them? I really like that. I mean, really being able to see what things in your mindset and idea system are because of the culture and don't have to be that way. And I think that's just like mind shifting and mind boggling is okay some belief that I've held for years and even even realize that you have that belief but then you just like okay what if that was different it's just like completely mind-blowing and that's what we need to do collectively now because you know the world really it's at a choice point we are facing so many crises at so many levels and there are still so many of us who still just say that's just the way the world is or that's just the way the markets are. That's just the way business is. The world isn't slowing down. And there are so many just preconceived assumptions within those statements. And the more of us who are able to start to challenge them and look at them and actually go, okay, why is the world that way? What if it wasn't? What would I do differently? What would my company do differently? What kind of business would I really create? How would I sell? How would I market? All of these different experiences, we have the possibility for creating not just like tweaks to the system, but transformation. Yeah, definitely. And that's how all of the companies that are these huge disruptors, that's how they got to that place. They looked at the system and said, it doesn't need to be that way, or it doesn't need to be that hard. Or like when Uber came around and they saw that when it was raining out and there was hardly any taxis when they were in New York because of the fact that taxi drivers, they always have this set cap that they go to where it's okay, I'm going to make $100 today. And then once they reach that $100, then they go home. On rainy days, they reach $100 before noon. And so then they go home. And so nobody can find a taxi after that. And so then Uber was like, hey, let's change the system. Let's make it different. And so they were like, okay, let's come up with a model where we incentivize taxi drivers to go out in the rain. And so that's what their whole, some of their model came out with. And along with a lot of other ideas, they started disrupting the whole industry, the whole taxi industry. It's, you think of those ideas, you need to have, be able to, think of these in different ways and really reconsider, does it have to even be this way? Can we change that? And that can be completely transformational for the whole space, which I think is just awesome. Ah, me too. And this is what excites me. I think so many of us have these ideas, but then we question it or we doubt it or we don't play with it and prototype it. And the more of us who can be empowered to do that and can trust their intuition and to reimagine their industries, because the thing about climate change and the environmental crisis is it's not just about renewables. It's not just about one thing. We need almost every single industry every single career to innovate and to reimagine how they work.
And the more of us, yeah, who, who capture that and have those ideas and play with it, the better. Yeah, exactly. And there's a big thing in the, the climate space about people, profit, and planning. The triple bottom line of being able to say, creating an idea or a thought process or a model that goes and helps people and helps the planet, it also is more profitable because you're either saving money or you're producing more. And so it's this idea of you can have a triple win. You can have where everyone wins. And it's such a huge situation where you can really think of something creatively, think of something that is new, the way that it didn't have to be done before. And it can really be helpful. And we do, like you mentioned, we need everyone in this. We need everyone to be contributing to this movement because we're not going to get there anywhere else. It's every industry is contributing to the issue that we have right now. So we need everything to either be done differently or more efficiently. So I completely agree with that. Absolutely. And a lot of my work and my programs are challenging or critical of this concept of capitalism, which is sometimes still a controversial space, particularly in climate and social justice circles. Absolutely. And fundamentally, though, even though I am like critical of the system as it is, I think the world does not benefit from our struggle. I think a more just, a more beautiful, a more regenerative world is born from our flourishing. It's born from our thriving. And so finding ways to support ourselves, finding ways to live a life that gives us meaning, that makes us feel good, this is foundational. We all should, especially those of us working for a more beautiful world, we should be flourishing as we do this. I don't believe in the mindset, you know, we need to fight and we need to struggle and we need to push. I think we can let things be easy and, and enjoy <laughs> life as we work for this change. Yeah, definitely. And I really like that. Just let things be easy. And I was reading Effortless, this book I read by Danny Inney, and he just talks about how he was struggling and grinding with his business. And he was just like, he sat down one day and thought about it. He was like, why is this so hard? why does it have to be so hard? And you hear all these people out there talking about how hard they're grinding and just putting the work, putting that report more hours. And why? Like, why does it have to be so hard? Because we have these cultural ideas again, that to that success is, or to work hard is to struggle. Because here's the thing, like we do need to work hard. Working hard isn't necessary. Like all of us need to put in work and effort to grow a business. All of us need to put in work and effort to a movement or a cause. But there is this line between something pulling us in that, this vision, this beautiful thing that we want to create pulling us and this something behind us, this kind of critical voice or this pain that's like pushing us and just being like, no, come on, do better. So finding that tension point, I think is where it's at. And I should put a disclaimer here that let it be easy is my motto. And it is my motto for a reason, because like I have spent a long time trying to make things the hard way. And it's still so easy to find myself in that cycle and coming back to this idea of, okay, you know, what if I let go of the scarcity. I let go of the stories of struggle. What would be different? And how can I create something new from this space? Definitely. And how do you check in with yourself and keep yourself in that space of, okay, how can I let this be easy? You have a ritual of, okay, before you start a project, you sit down and say, okay, this is my plan. Or what is your strategy around helping keep yourself grounded to the fact that this can be easy. Yeah. So I think what we're talking about here is this idea of compass. What is it that guides our decisions? What is it that we come back to? You know, what is the right step or whether we should do something? And there are a few different compasses that we can work with, but the one that I return to the most is actually, it's my body. 
because when I'm making decisions that feel good, that are aligned with me, my body will feel light, it will feel open, it will feel expansive, my shoulders relax. There's often like a bit of a sigh, oh, how wonderful, like it's just, okay, there's a relaxation. And other times when I'll be doing things that perhaps are going to drain me, there will be this sense of like, closure and heaviness and there's a weight on my shoulders and my jaw gets very tight but somewhere I hold a lot of tension and here's the thing right there it really is about listening to the body because to give you an example not too long ago I had a friend who was asking for help with this newsletter run for a climate movement that they were starting up and I was like yeah great would love to you know what I haven't done anything for a while it would make me feel good it's a good amount of exercise go drop some flyers and before long I thought this wasn't fully what I signed up for. It had the buddy system and four hour shifts. And like, I had to turn up at this specific time. And I was like, okay, wow, this is so intense. And all of my thoughts were like, no, Laura, come on. Like you said, you would help just follow through on your commitment. And like, you haven't done anything in ages. Just do it once and get it over with. And all the while that I was thinking that my body was tense and it was heavy. And I was like, you know what? Yeah, I can fit it in. Like, I'll just move that meeting and I'll go to dinner late and I'll get it done then. And then the moment I was like, you know what? Actually, I'm really sorry. I This wasn't entirely what I thought I signed up for. I would like to offer this alternative. I think this person could help you. Perhaps in the future I'll have capacity. And I do apologize for the miscommunication. There was like this lightness. There was a weight off me. Now, this wasn't that I thought I should do this. It, I felt a bit guilty doing it because I said I would. But if I'm honoring my body and I'm honoring that compass and I'm letting it be easy and I'm trying to use my body as a guide, then I need to honor it even in those moments that my mind tells me I should be doing something different. That I have those beliefs saying that you should do X, Y, or Z. So coming back to that and learning how to listen to my body is really that step. Yeah, definitely. Do you ever feel like there's a space that you might see as you've thought about for a while, you like you talked, this is something that you could be doing or that would really help in certain ways. And you still feel that struggle in your body or your resistance in your body. And then you try it out for a little bit and then you get past that kind of like struggle phase and you can reach into this phase where you're in it and you're like feeling good and relaxed. Does that ever happen for you as well? Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is about the nuance and complexity that kind of comes with check-ins. Sometimes you'll check in and you'll be like, yeah, I'm feeling some anxiety or I'm feeling some apprehension or I'm feeling some tension. And you can ask yourself why. Is it that I'm nervous? Is it that I'm tired or is it that it's uncomfortable and it's new or I've had this bad experience in the past and I'm really afraid that it's going to be the same. When we have that ability to inquire, we can see whether it's something that maybe we should work through and move through that and do it anyway, or whether it's something that's actually like a, just a no. And that takes practice. It takes time. It takes sometimes doing it anyway and then discovering maybe you shouldn't have and vice versa. But it's it really comes down to the level of inquiry that we're able to offer ourselves and the level of grace that we're able to offer ourselves when we make mistakes or we don't listen or we do. Yeah, definitely. And being able to have that introspection. I know for myself, before I get onto any one of these interviews, there's always like a, a feeling of, oh, I don't want to do this. <laughs> That's <laughs> Fast. <laughs> and it's like, no, I really don't want to do this. But then I get on to it and I start asking questions and I start really getting into the conversation. And then during it, I'm feeling like really good. And afterwards, I'm just like satisfied. That struggle phase is something that I just need to get through because on the other side, it's hugely beneficial. I really enjoyed this talking and being on the podcast and producing it and all the things that come with it. So the 
initial, oh, I don't want to do this feeling is just something I get past. It's just something I have to work through. I feel ill before I go up on stage or speak sometimes. And there's like that sense that pit in my stomach that's just, oh God, what are you doing? But you know what? When I'm up there, I love it. I know I love it, right? That is one of the spaces where actually it gives me energy and afterwards I'll feel fantastic because I know that, like you, able to work through that and it's, oh, okay, yeah, let's, this feeling's here again. Okay, we're going to do it anyway. And on the other side, we know what's there. So yeah, I love that example because that's a really clear one of a space where we can start to move through something that's uncomfortable. Yeah, definitely. And I think like what you said before of being able to reassess afterwards and say, okay, what was the reason why I was feeling that way before? And then afterwards and how did I feel and then being able to go from there because I did the same thing when I was looking at this about the podcast I was like do I really enjoy like doing these interviews because like beforehand I'm like I have that feeling no I don't want to get on the, the call I don't want to do this today I realized afterwards like we're doing through that introspection of really being able to look back and say yeah I had that feeling beforehand but then afterwards like that feeling like completely goes away and once I get on the call it, the feeling's gone it's just one of those things that I have to get through it's one of those things after you do it a couple times you're getting through it you understand the oh this is just a feeling that I feel at the beginning and I'll get through it and it's better on the other side versus being able to say okay I, I went and did something and then that didn't work out for me I didn't feel better afterwards I didn't see the benefit from it being able to really reassess that and look in, introspectively and say okay how was I feeling at the time and being able to really see is this something I want to continue doing and stuff like that absolutely so, so I'd love to ask a little bit too about your online coursework as well so you have a couple of courses that you've created online can you tell us a little bit about them and how they can help people transform yeah, absolutely. So Internal Revolution is our course around healing burnout culture and really creating this shift within ourselves. So that's a lot of kind of what we've talked about. But I'm really excited because I do have a new program that's starting in the new year called, it will be around cultural wayfinding, working title, subject to change. But essentially, <laughs> it's an inner leadership course, really looking at this idea of how do we get free of toxic systems and their hold over us, like capitalism, like we talked of. How do we explore our relationship to power? And then how do we know what's ours to do in this? Because so many of us want to make a difference in the world. There are so many different spaces that we need to act. And so how do we know what's ours? How do we know what's going to support us and nourish us? And that's really what the program is about, coming back to this inner work that we need to do to show up as leaders for the new world. So there's different programs running at different times. Those are probably the two big ones. And then there's some smaller workshops periodically around eco-anxiety, this sense of understandable just despair or fear at the crisis that's us and how we start to move through that in our bodies and also around working with anger and those emotions as well because as activists anyone looking to change the world anger is sometimes there so how do we learn to use it and harness it so there's lots of different spaces there's two main courses around burnout around leadership and of course i also work with people one-on-one -on -one through coaching as well that's awesome yeah and i like how you mentioned the eco anxiety and the anger <laughs> comes out of it as well because i think that was a big thing that led me to producing this podcast was the fact that throughout my life and i know through a lot of other people's we grew up in this day and age where we were taught all of these bad things that were happening in the world, all of these things that were wrong and how we are basically destroying our world and nothing is going to be here in 2050. And I really wanted to show with this podcast, like 
there are a lot of really great things going on. There's a lot of really great people doing amazing work. Instead of focusing on all the things that are wrong and all the things bad that are happening, let's shift for a second. Yes, we need to know those things. We need to be aware, but we don't need to be fixated on them. Because what happens when you get fixated on them is that you think, okay, there's nothing I can do. And so I can't do anything. So I just won't think about it. And because of that's the exact opposite of what we want people to do. We want people to act. We want people to feel like they have a way to fight climate change and fight the climate crisis. And with all of these, just focusing on all the bad things that are happening with the scale of the climate crisis, all of that becomes a, a situation where people just feel overwhelmed. And so they don't do anything. And it's like, oh no, that's like opposite of what we want you to do. Being able to get away from this eco-anxiety is super important. And we also brought up the anger management too. Like being able to harness that in a way that like can use that for motivation for going forth as an ecopreneur or in this movement, because a lot of the politicians and things, they will come out with different acts and laws and all this stuff. And it's just, oh no, you're not doing the right thing. Why are you doing that? They definitely feel you there. This so. is why we look at this idea of power a lot in my courses and in coaching, because you know, so much of like how we respond to that anger and to that anxiety is actually based in our relationship to power. If we feel angry and we feel powerless, then that tends to fall into apathy or it falls into rage or it spills out in different ways. If we believe we have agency, if we believe we have some sense of power, if we believe that our emotions, we understand that they're guides, they, they tell us where to act, maybe not how. Anger is a terrible emotion telling us how to act, but it's very good at telling us where. You know, then we have the tools to go, oh, okay. So this is like a compass of mine. This is telling me something. This matters to me. I care about this. I love this. This breaks my heart. This makes me sad or I'm scared. And then, okay, I have some power and I'm not afraid of it. Because as change makers, sometimes we actually have a, a complex relationship to power. We think it's bad or it's always corrupted or people power is fine, but it's not something that we should really wield individually. And as long as we have these stories, and particularly for women, particularly for any sort of gender minorities, there's a lot of stories that are around power as well, that it's shameful, then we're not able to step forward. We're not able to do that work, which is what you're talking about and what I love. Hey, let's do and let's showcase people doing things. Let's revolutionize business. Let's become ecopreneurs. Let's start this a movement over here. Let's create this community initiative over here because we need all of these different things. Things. So we need to do this work of understanding power and understanding emotions to be able to get there. Yeah, definitely. Wow. I love that. And I know you just created your own podcast. What is that about? What are your goals with it? I did. It is called The Public Love Project. And I'm really excited. It's still new and it's still kind of finding its feet. It's such a fascinating kind of mechanism to get to play with and to meet some incredible people. So The Public Love Project is really about remaking the world. It's about exploring love as a public good and how do we create the conditions for social healing and collective thrive. So I'm speaking with all different types of change makers, some who are very aligned with me, some who come from a very different point of view around this idea of what does it mean to make change and how do we challenge our industries in our spaces. So currently we've had some episodes on deep ecology and this idea of sacred ecology, so underpinning how mindfulness can affect our work and this idea of remaking HR by some really incredible interviews with people who are doing some great work and disruption in that space and also from social entrepreneurs who have started ocean plastic recycling companies. So there's a 
beautiful array of people exploring different ways that together we can remake the world. That's awesome. I, I definitely hope that everyone listening will go check out your podcast. I'm definitely going to be having it on my stream to, to listen to here soon. So it'd be great. But how many episodes do you have out right now? We have eight episodes out so far, I believe. So nice. still just early days, but it's very exciting. Yeah, beginning of podcast is always very exciting. I just hit my 50th episode last week. So yeah, I was like, wow. That's it's huge. one of those things where it's like, you start doing about 10 and you're like, oh, I'm getting into this. And then all of a sudden it's 50 and you're like, wow. <laughs> and it's a commitment as well. It is a lot of work and it's wow. Okay. I've been doing this for six, seven months now. It's, wow. Okay. It's crazy. It's incredible. It's, but yeah, I think, yeah, everybody should definitely go check out your podcast. I'll have it down with the links in the show notes and you'll be able to check it out there. But yeah, that sounds wonderful. And I like to hear from you where your goals for the next six months for your business, for your podcast. What are you hoping for? Yeah. So with the next six months, I'm really excited for the launch of the new course, which will be early in 2023, which will it's the longest course that we'll have done. So this will be looking actually at about a six month journey for people, which I think really gives the space for, for integration and for seeing how this work actually applies to day-to-day life, because it is so easy to read a book or go to a workshop and to feel inspired and amazing. And then two weeks later, you turn around and you're like, okay, yeah, but like I've had this fight with my boss or my spouse and I'm feeling hopeless again or I've had this other thing come up and everything's so urgent. So it's really about creating the kind of integration space to really live the change that we're looking. So very excited for that. And as well, continuing to work one-on-one with clients in this space of regenerative leadership and how do we show up for a more beautiful world. So those are the spaces that I'm excited for. That's great. That's exciting. I think that's so important to you have that time and space to be able to really integrate. Cause you're right. You can go to a workshop and you can get really inspired and everything is great. Or you can watch a, a video and it's, oh, I'm feeling great for five minutes and then back to normal life. So it's how do you really change your behavior? How do you really change a mindset? And that takes time you have to consistently be thinking about it on a day-to-day basis, be reminding your brain so that you can start rewiring your brain because it's those pathways, those neuron pathways that go through your brain of, okay, you think of this thought and then it goes and thinks of 10 other things that are associated with that. You've got to, if you're going to have that thought, you got to be able to break that away from all those other 10 other connections that it's already entangled with. And that takes time because those neurons have to start firing with other neurons. And so it's work and it takes time to do that. So I think that six month exploration is really good for that. Yeah, absolutely. And I've had the same experience. Like this work is all work that I've done myself and continue to do myself. And I have been to workshops and had incredible mind-blowing experiences and great insights. And sometimes they've lost it. Sometimes they've really helped me. But a lot of the time after a while, I walk away and I feel, okay, how do I keep doing this? Or how do I relate that information to this? exactly what you're talking about, that space, I think that's where we need to be. Yeah, definitely. And for your courses, are they completely online or do they have a little aspect of meeting with you? How does that work? No, completely online, which suits me because I'm actually moving to Montreal in two months now. I'm currently in Sydney, Australia, for anybody who can hear my accent. And it's (laughs) exciting to be able to work from anywhere. That's always been something that's really important to me. And so many of the students at the school and so many of the people that I work with, we're coming from very different places in the world, whether it's South Africa, the US, the UK, Belgium, 
and we're coming together with these same kind of struggles and these same desires to see something new. So I think we are able to offer ourselves a really unique perspective when we have that diversity. Yeah, definitely. And that's so helpful to be able to impact everybody around the world. It's one of the amazing things of the day and age that we live in. It's I can connect with people in Sydney, Australia. I'm living here in Raleigh, North Carolina on the east coast of the U.S. So as we can have this conversation, it's, it's a beautiful time that we live in, which is awesome. And for you, I like to ask this question, just what are you currently learning right now? Oh, gosh. Okay, so I'll go with two things just to match the focus of this, which is the outer and the inner. The outer external thing that I'm learning at the moment is French, because obviously Montreal, it's challenging. There are so many tenses. I, I, I think I'll get there. So mm -hmm. we'll see. I think immersion will help. And the second thing on a more inner or personal level, I think is self-compassion. That's certainly been a theme for me lately. How do I practice not just mindfulness and not just gentleness, but really honest compassion for myself? So that's the space that I'm playing at the moment. Yeah, and that's really difficult to explore because you can have so much compassion for other people. We're always taught to do that. And having compassion for ourselves and for our body is hugely important, but we don't value it and we don't do it enough. And so I think that's definitely a place that I think everyone can learn and grow in. I applaud you for going for that. Definitely. And for you, do you have any tips for any entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs in the audience about just one thing that could help them grow or help them grow personally. I think be careful falling into the illusion of I can rest when, or I'll be happy when. And this is something that so many of us, including myself, tend to fall into that, especially as entrepreneurs or as ecopreneurs in the early stages, and there's so much to do and we're doing everything ourselves. And so it's, oh, okay, like, I'll, I just got to push through. I've just got to keep doing this. And so we fall into the hustle culture that in a sense, we're trying to escape. Many of us are with the idea that we can give it up at some point. But that day that we think we can give it up almost never comes. There's never that place that we reach where it's, oh, I can rest now. Oh, I can be happy now. I've done it and it's enough. We don't know what satiated or satisfied really feels like a lot of the time. So my advice is maybe don't fall into that trap early. Yes, work hard. Yes, put in effort. But listen to your body. Learn what satiety feels like. Learn what feeling good feels like learn what enoughness feels and then try and use that as a guide as you work because you know it's not going to happen down the line it happens now and in integrating it now in those early days yeah and that's been a really big thing for me especially too of doing this exploration of yeah I keep on oscillating and like the whole purpose of a lot of what I was doing was to spend more time with my son. He's two years old and it's like, I've been doing this for two years and I realized that I've been hustling so much to get to this, spending more time with him that I'm actually not spending, just the opposite has happened. And I'm like, ah, oh, like this isn't right. And I kept on thinking like, oh, there's this goal when I reach here, then I'll be able to do that. Like I'll be able to spend more time with my son when I do this. But I realized like, okay, I could do that. Or I could re-manufacture re my life, think a little creatively, figure out a way to do it now. Because it's not those end goals that we reach. Because there's all these studies that have been done, realize that when you reach goals, then you either create a new goal or you always extend it longer. Or what happens when you reach that goal? And those goals usually last the happiness from achieving a goal will last a week or maybe two. But okay, how do you manufacture happiness on a day-to-day -day basis? And so I've been looking at this, exploring that too about, okay, 
So instead of focusing, oh, I'm going to reach happiness when I reach this goal, like how do I manufacture a day-to-day happiness in my life? And I think that's a hugely difficult and transformational piece to explore, but it's something that I've been definitely working through as well because it's, yeah, I could keep trying and I could keep going for that goal and then say, when I hit that goal, then I'll be happy, but will I really? And I love what you're touching on there is a little bit of the essence of what public love enterprises is really about as well, because as change makers or as activists, sometimes we have this idea that we just need to create this change and we just need to get this next thing and this next bill passed or this next rally or this next invention, this next company, whatever it might be. The change is always out there. It's always in the distance. It's always somewhere far off. And if we are not able to experience the sense of peace that we want to see in the world, if we're not able to experience the sense of thriving that we want to see in the world, if we're not able to experience the sense of feeling whole, the sense of healing, the sense of compassion for one another that we want to see in the world, if we can't experience that in ourselves, we will not see it out there. It will not happen. So grounding ourselves in the experiences that we want to create, that we want to see, is really where this work is. And it's so relatable. As me, on a personal level, I love travel. Travel is my lifeblood. It's one of the reasons I've always loved and wanted to be like self-employed. And yet, sometimes running my own business, I'm like, no, I can't take that week off or I need to be working while I'm there. And it's like, all of these things. And it's like, why did you start this? Yeah, this deeper purpose but one of the things was i wanted more freedom to to go places and to travel and to work from where i wanted to work and to live how i wanted to live so it's challenging that belief but still one day you can travel one day once you've just reached these enrollments once you've done this you can spend time with your son and you'll have those free days once you've reached that moment and reach those numbers that's where the work is challenging that belief early on yeah Definitely. And it takes work. Laura, if anybody would like to reach out to you to learn more about what you're doing and hear more about you, talk to you, spend some time with you, how can they reach out to you? So my website is laurahartley.com. That's H-A-R-T-L-E-Y for anybody looking to spell that. I'm also on LinkedIn if that's your space. And I'm very active on Instagram at laura.h.hartley. Go check me out. Feel free to reach out if you have any questions and I'd love to connect. Great. Thank you. Laura, it's been really awesome speaking with you today. I've had such a great time having you on the show and talking about this is a space that I'm personally very interested in. And I think it'll be great for any entrepreneurs listening to be able to do some introspection, be able to look at where they're at in their lives and be able to take this and really grow with it. Thank you so much for coming on the show and I hope to have you back on. Absolutely. And thank you so much for having me on. Like, I love this show. I love what you're doing. So it was such a joy. So thank you. And if you enjoyed this interview with Laura and all the transformational work that we talked about, and you would like to dive deep into these topics and see the transformational change that can take place when you separate your expectations from internalized capitalism and find a way to escape burnout, then I invite you to check out the links in the description below to join one of Laura's programs in her online school for changemakers. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Green Business Impact Podcast. We hope you enjoyed hearing your weekly dose of climate positivity. In a world that constantly inundates you with the negative things happening, it can be great to take a break and hear some great things happening in the world. Make sure to hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app 
to stay up to date with the latest and best interviews of the top minds in the green industries. And if you are interested in launching your own podcast to make an even larger impact on the world, then look no farther than the podcasting platform that I use here to launch every single episode of Green Business Impact, Podbean. I searched through all the different podcasting platforms out there and the best choice by far was Podbean. They give you truly the best value and all the resources you need to spread your message to the world by easily connecting you to all the different podcasting networks like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, all of them. And they give you so many resources and opportunities to monetize it as well. So if you are on the fence about which podcasting platform to go with, make sure you check out the link in the description below to register your podcast with Podbean. Thanks again, and we can't wait to see you back here next time for another hit of Climate Positivity.